and welcome to Fantastic History. I'm Clay. I'm Sarah. We are a husband and wife duo who enjoy telling each other about amazing events, people, and mysteries throughout history. So today is part two of a multi-part series that I'm doing on Great Panics and Hysteria from all across history using an infographic that I got from Atlas Obscura. So if you haven't listened to part one, you can still listen to this part. There's not going to be too much going back, but I do recommend going to part one first because, you know, starting from A is where you want to start. <laughs> well, and we'd hate to unlearn the alphabet because you listen to these episodes out of order, too. I, I personally would feel terrible about that. Exactly. So, we last left off on G, which means we are going on to letter H. That makes sense, yeah. So, a lot of the topics mentioned in the last episode involved moral panic, and this is another one. Okay. This time revolving around comic books. (laughs) Sorry. That's okay. Hmm. In the 1950s, about a quarter of comic books sold were known as horror comics oh yeah now some were silly some a bit macabre but they were gory and in a visual medium whose main audience was children it stirred up a lot of uh concern among parents right the two specific things that really brought this to a head was a congressional investigation into horror comics and a book by psychiatrist frederick wortham called seduction of the innocent <laughs> i'm sorry i know <laughs> Oh boy, he the, sounds fun. Well, they always—they're always so dramatic. Yes, aren't they? Yes. And this book uh, warned that comics were a cause of juvenile delinquency. Of course. Mm-hmm. Now all this came to a head in 1954 as bills were being written across the country to censor comics. This led publishers to take matters into their own hands, while they still could, and they formed the Comics Magazine Association of America. And this, in turn, led to the creation of the Comics Code Authority, which, if you read comic books, would seem very familiar to you because for most of most of history, I guess, um, there was this little stamp at the top of the comic that said CCA approved. The CCA, as it was abbreviated, was modeled after the Hayes Code established for Hollywood in the 40s. Right, okay. CA was a self-policing code and was not mandatory, but publishers who didn't participate were at a disadvantage when it came to distributing. This seems to have done the trick because there was no nationwide comic bans that were enacted, but the more risque and gory comics did face public bonfires and local ban ordinances. Here's the thing, and I'm just going to put it out there in case this is somehow not apparent to you people. In order to burn something, you have to have first purchased it. So you're really not hurting anyone. They've already got your money, pal. Like, yeah, you're, well, you're this, just hurting yourself. Well, this was less about sticking it to them and more avoiding their children being seduced. Mm-hmm. The seduction of their innocent little baby boys. <laughs> right, because girls don't read comics. Well, uh, you know, I, I know that a lot of these were targeted towards the male gaze. Mm. Lots of babes being um, abducted <sighs> by, you know, gravekeepers and turned into mummies for their personal indulgences. Ew. Okay. Very creepy stuff. But hey, it was it was it was kids. It was for kids. <laughs> right. Well, the CAA or sorry, CCA actually stuck around for much longer than I thought. 
Marvel had stopped submitting comics to the CCA back in 2001 when one of their series was rejected. They just said, you rejected our, our series? Well, then we're just not going to send them to you anymore. Do you know what series it was? I think it was X-Force. Okay. It was some, something like that. I don't, I, don't, I don't know why it was rejected, but um, it could have been any reason. Just seducing the innocent. And they just said, whatever. Yeah. We're not gonna we're not gonna submit them anymore, and they didn't really face any any issue well, because they were so not. big at that time. Two thousand one, they're they're starting to put out movies like yeah, we can do whatever we want. It was in use until January two thousand eleven. Oh wow! When DC and Archie Comics both announced they were discontinuing using it, and as they were the last publishers using the CCA, it rendered it defunct. Wow. Now, the next letter is I, and on the infographic, it is for the Italian well poisoning scare. And I looked for as much information as I could, but I could find very little, actually. Oh. Yeah. The only good source I could find was one single paragraph in a book that had very little context around it. So I'm going to add my own entry here. I'm not going to do this Italian uh, well poisoning scare. I'm going to do my own. Okay. So, I is now for Irish Fright. <laughs> okay. I experience that often, actually. <laughs> this mass panic involves English history, which we did two episodes on earlier. Mm-hmm. But this comes after the Tudor and the English Civil War. In 1685, James the Sixth and Second, as he was known. Yes, right. Um, became king of England, and this caused quite a stir because he was Catholic, and much of England uh-huh. was Protestant. Oh, yeah. Concerns grew when a male heir was born, creating the prospect of a Catholic dynasty and the prosecution of several bishops of the Church of England. So this all led to the Glorious Revolution in November 1688, which saw the king's nephew, William III, leading 20,000 men to march on London and the royal army defecting to him. It is also called the Bloodless Revolution because of how quickly and peacefully the whole thing was, because people really didn't like James. Yeah. Now, during the final days of King James II, rumors began to spread that James had summoned troops from Scotland and Ireland to make their way south to quell the rebellion. Uh Uh-oh. The rumors escalated with reports of Irish troops shooting into church services, killing 40, and marauding Irish, numbering in the thousands, burning cities, and cutting the English Protestants' throats. Oh, my God. Of course, these, these reports struck fear into England, especially the more rural communities who armed themselves, set up garrisons, and prepared to defend their towns against the massacre. The details of these rumors varied from locality to locality, with the attackers being Irish, Scottish, French, or simply Catholic. Okay. However, as you may have guessed, these fears were exaggerated. You don't say. In fact, the small number of the uh, Jacobite Irish army who were supportive of James were not capable of doing this, nor were there was there any evidence that they would commit such outlandish atrocities. Right, yeah. In fact, the Irish fright was a sophisticated propaganda campaign. I am stunned. You are blowing me away with this. (laughs) Entirely fabricated to create mass panic across England and thoroughly discourage anyone supportive of James, of King James, to engage in any sort of counter-revolution. I see. And it was successful. Good for them. (laughs) Well, let's move on to Jay. 
Now, in 1962, a worker at a U.S. textile plant opened a crate and found among the fabrics were June bugs. Okay. The worker claimed to have been bitten by the bugs or one bug, Mm -hmm. and they got sick with the rash. Okay. But over the next few days, as the word spread about this, you know, small infestation, if you could even call it that, more and more workers began to fall ill with symptoms including rash, numbness, nausea, dizziness, and vomiting. Oh, my. So J stands for the June bug epidemic. (laughs) Okay. 62 workers fell ill and some were even hospitalized. The plant shut down and specialists from the U.S. Communicable Disease Center came in to investigate. What they found was that while some workers had been bitten by these bugs, most were not. Nor were the bugs capable of causing this cascade of symptoms. Yeah. The high-stress environment and the social forces among the workers led investigators to determine that this was a case of hysterical contagion. Wow. Now let's talk about hysterical contagion because I don't think we talked about this yet. I don't know if we have, but I love it. It's like mass hysteria. Yeah. It's a psychological effect that can present itself physically in groups of people, but hysterical contagion presents signs of physical illness and can cause even real symptoms. Interesting. Yeah. Physical, like, rashes to appear, even though there's nothing wrong with them at all. Hmm. Very strange. Yeah. All right. So the past couple of entries have been pretty tame, I think. Nothing too crazy, let's say. Is K for crazy? I'm so excited. Well, we're going to spice things up with K. (gasps) Yay! K is for Koro. Okay. K-O-R-O. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing it right, but I'm going to say Koro. All right. Um, Do you know what Koro is? No. Okay. It is a delusion of the belief that one's penis is retracting and will disappear. (laughs) Obviously. You know, I was going to guess that, but then I was like, too silly. Yeah. Yeah. Koro is also known as shrinking penis. I was going to say turtle dick, but... Actually, the name Koro, this isn't in my script, the the name Koro actually comes from a word, and I'm not sure which language it is, for um, turtle head. Nailed it. You nailed it. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Well, I am a woman of the world, so obviously... (laughs) And Koro is actually listed as a medical or a mental disorder. Yeah, okay. Obviously. But interestingly, Koro can appear as a full-on mass hysteria. Oh, my. (laughs) I'm I'm sorry. Well, this is the great panic, not the great (laughs) mental illnesses. In 1967, (laughs) a Koro epidemic occurred in Singapore over the course of 10 days. Oh, my God. A newspaper reported that people were developing Koro after eating pork from pigs who were given an anti-swine fever vaccine. Ah. This led to the rumor that eating the pork would make your penis shrink, disappear, and then you would die. (laughs) Because that's what happens. 97 men were admitted to Singapore General Hospital's <laughs> emergency room in in just one day, Sarah. <laughs> Y'all are a mess. 
<laughs> I knew this would get her. Uh, <laughs> okay. Well, this was the first major case of Koro, but it was not the last. In 1976, an epidemic broke out in Thailand, apparently caused by Vietnamese food and tobacco poisoning, which was untrue and racist. Yeah. In 1982, Koro cases exploded, so to speak, (laughs) in India, affecting uneducated lower economic men. There have hmm. also been cases of several ep- epidemics in Africa, mostly in areas where beliefs in the occult and witchcraft and other spiritual beliefs are more common, and the cause of the epidemic is often blamed on curses. I love it. I'm obsessed with this. Koro appears to be most common with poorly educated people. Okay. Um, younger, single, fearful of supernatural forces, things like that. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Now, education and psychotherapy seem to be helpful treatments, but the fact that it can exhibit as a mass hysteria affecting affecting many people all at once makes it a really strange delusion. Well, I'm a big fan. I, it, can, I can tell you that. I'm a big fan of this one. It's weird, isn't it? It's very strange. Yeah. I mean, it, it does call to mind George Costanza. Mm-hmm. You know, he was in the pool. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 and while I was reading it, I was like... it's really strange because people who are affected by it seem to also, there there seems to be a case of like, or or, or an edge of um, body shaming. Oh yeah. Like, oh, I am not endowed very well. Ergo, I must be, I must have issues. A witch stole my penis. Yeah. Or yeah. um, It's, 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 it's a strange delusion. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, But that's Koro. (laughs) <laughs> Thank you very much for the letter that. letter K. I loved it. Now, for L, I am going to deviate from the infographic again. Oh, my. Now, the topic of L we will discuss later on. I had to move some things around. I see. But my choice takes us to Berlin, Germany in 1841, where a brilliant pianist played for an enthusiastic crowd as part of his European tour, and his performance was met with a very strong reaction. A reaction that had never been seen before. Mm. Pure hysterical ecstasy. Mm. The man was Franz Liszt, and L is for Listomania. Oh, boy. Which you may be familiar with. The name, Listomania. It's a song by Phoenix. It was really, really popular back in the early 2000s, I think. Okay. I'd have to listen to it. Now, Liszt was indeed a prodigy who was writing music by age 11. He was and is still today one of the most popular piano composers. But it was not his just his extreme talent at the keys, but also the fact that the dude was handsome as hell. Woo! And he, Get him. And he played the piano with, a, with sultry showmanship. <gasps> He's Elvis! Uh-huh. He moved. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. He had long hair. Mm-hmm. Long, long, you know, bad boy. About down to his shoulders. He moved across the keys. You, you can, you can see it, right? Get it. You can, you can see it in your head. All right, Franz. So Liszt may have been the first international pianist because he was touring all across Europe. I'm about to look him up. But he was also likely the first musical celebrity using our modern definition. Oh, women were crazy for him. And the press loved to write about him, 
and the scenes at his concert. Heinrich Hein first coined the term listomania after that Berlin concert. Reactions to him have become akin to Elvis. See? And the Beatles. Here he is. Yeah, we're going to put a picture up on our Instagram, but there are uh, photographs of him too. The, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure this is what I'm looking at. Sorry. Yeah, okay. I, I can see it. Yeah. I can see it. And he was younger too. Right. He's got a little bit of like a Mads Mikkelsen thing going on. <laughs> if you're if you're not going to go to our Instagram, just, just picture Mads Mikkelsen with like shoulder length hair. Yeah. Yeah. He, he, was, a, he was a handsome man. Yeah. And he knew how to, sh- how to put on a show. Whew. And as I said, it became akin to Elvis and the Beatles, the reactions being screaming, swooning, uncontrollable physical and emotional responses. Oh, my God. The world had never seen anything like this before List. <laughs> it's it's crazy. Biographer Dr. Oliver um, Hilms describes the mania growing around List. There were times when the enthusiasm triggered by his public appearances bordered on delirium. And he became a figure on whom contemporaries projected all manner of erotic fantasies fantasies and secret desires. There were women who forgot everything, including their family's good name and their refined upbringing to be close to their God. Hell yeah. This guy. Oh, man. Th- th- I mean, it, it, it sounds just like Elvis, right? Yeah. Sorry, Coro. This is my new favorite one. Yeah. This is so relatable. Uh, so the stereotype of women rushing to a celebrity to get a handkerchief or fainting just from the sight of them, it likely just started with Litz. Oh. Like he was the, he, it didn't start with Elvis. It didn't start with the Beatles. He was the one who sort of began this, the, this sort of stereotypical reaction. My God. So Franz Litz certainly knew how to put on a show, but he was also the real deal. Uh, and and today is considered by many to be the greatest pianist who has ever lived. Interesting. Yeah, and I, I um I just want to add at the end here, listomania is I, I I'm I'm sure that Beatlemania got its name from listomania, That's but so wild. the terms are different because Beatlemania uses a more modern term of mania, mm-hmm. like you know. Oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, dear. And listomania. They were literally calling these broads nuts. Yes. And this Woo. was this was a time when um, when medicine would use, believed in, in female diseases. Oh, yeah. That's why we have vibrators, I'm aware. Exactly. Probably list is why we have vibrators, if we're being honest. It's possible. Woo. So, yeah. Listomania. Mm. Okay. Now, what isn't the real deal by any means <laughs> is the monkey man of Delhi. <laughs> Sorry. We're taking a hard right. Yeah, from the highest of highs to the lowest of lows. <laughs> Sarah, I, w- I want you to imagine it. I'm already there, man. A mysterious creature, three to four feet tall, black as a shadow. Glowing red eyes and sharp metal claws attacking people at night, jumping from rooftops to disappear without a trace except for their victim. Oh, my. The rumor um, that people believed in in East Delhi, India, um, about this monkey man goes back to 2001. 
Uh, oh, that's a lot more recent than I would have expected. Yeah. The the rumors turned into outright craze where groups of vigilantes with sticks patrolled the night and sat on rooftops keeping a lookout for this creature. Oh, dear. Now, to be fair, they didn't know what it was. They they th- they may have thought it, an intruder. Oh, okay. Yeah. Perhaps actually some sort of like ape or, or right? some, some sort yeah. of creature that uh, some sort of uh, monkey or ape that was in the city or in their area that was just extremely violent. Right. But as rumors spread, they tend to be a little exaggerated. No kidding. As you can imagine. Hmm. Now, the mass terror, as I said, wasn't without warrant. It all seemed to start with reports of a masked figure in the village of uh, Gizabad who broke into a couple of homes and attacked people, including an elderly elderly woman and mm. a child. And they were both injured. You can't do that. So there was, there was some sort of attack mm. by someone or something, let's say. Afterwards, the number of cases of attacks exploded and began appearing in newspapers, which gave rise to the titular character. Descriptions varied greatly, with some even claiming that it moved around on roller skates. <laughs> okay. The monkey on roller skates. Hell yeah! With metal claws. Oh, dude. It's terrifying. I love it, though. Yeah, I do too, actually. But two people did die as a result of this panic, though it was not by the paw of the monkey man. Oh, but rather by falling down flights of stairs during the frenzied sighting of the creature. Oh, my God. Yeah. But alas, no monkey man was ever found. And the Hmm. sightings and attacks uh, soon stopped entirely. Investigators concluded that the uh, cases of bitings and scratchings that many victims were reporting were either by common animals like dogs or they were self-inflicted. Oh, I see. The Monkey Man was determined to be a case of collective delusion and quite similar to another creature from 150 years ago in London, Spring-Heeled Jack. Oh, I know Spring-Heeled Jack. Who would leap across the city searching for his victims. Yeah. But he was no Monkey Man. Well, who is? Well, let me tell you. No, the (laughs) next one is not about another Monkey Man. Oh my God, that'd be wild. This one is the Nepalese monkey man. <laughs> N is for Nepal. Yeah. Yeah. All, all the next ones are about monkeys. Great. Actually, the next one is about um, <laughs> nuns again. Oh, good. I, it's, been, it's been too long. I was like, surely there's another nun entry in this episode. Well, last episode we had cat the, nuns. The cat nuns. Yeah. They meowed. Mm-hmm. And the police had to stop them under threat of violence. (laughs) I can't. I can't stand it. Well, it wasn't the only case of feline foolishness in the Middle Ages in convents. You cannot be serious. It's more cat nuns. N is for nun biting. Oh. In Germany, a similar story played out. A nun began biting other nuns. (laughs) They were so bored. And after a while... The nuns were just biting each other. <laughs> now, now this is weird. You think? And perhaps, again, with the meowing, we suspected probably uh, it's likely a bit um, of playfulness mm-hmm. with the nuns themselves. We don't know for sure, but it could be. Yeah. But in this case, it was a little different. 
because word spread to other convents about the odd behavior, and as the news spread, so did the biting. Oh my god. Nuns were biting each other across Germany, y'all. <laughs> Not just Germany, but Holland and Rome, too. <laughs> They're so bored. Can you imagine? <laughs> well, to be fair to those nuns, I do randomly come up to you and bite you sometimes. Yeah. But I don't know. I, I don't know. It, it, it hasn't really spread even throughout our household. It's just me and the dog, really. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, my source doesn't say how or if this ever ended. So, if, <laughs> if you're in the area, <laughs> keep an eye out for hungry nunnies. <laughs> because you never know. Oh, dear. But panics amongst the religious and devout will not stop. No, not ever, it seems. Because, oh. Oh, dear. It stands for the Wea board. I've never heard it pronounced that way. Okay. How do you pronounce it? Ouija. Ouija. Yeah. Wea or Ouija, as oh, some pronounce it. Which I don't understand. So we'll pronounce it Wea. Okay. No, I'm just kidding. Okay. <laughs> I'll pronounce it Ouija. Okay. The Ouija board and the panic that nearly destroyed a Catholic girls' school <laughs> in 2006. Sorry. 2006, you said. 2006. <laughs> now, this, this story is tailor-made for Sarah. Yay! Just heads up. Now, the Ouija board or talking board, or spirit board, or whatever you want to call it, has been around for centuries, dating all the way back to 1100 AD in China. Nice, okay. It gained modern popularity following the American Civil War, when mediums would use them to help widows and families contact soldiers who had died. So that kind of, it ties into our um, Arthur Conan Doyle episode, where we talked about how spiritualism always becomes more popular after wars and mass deaths yeah exactly mm -hmm. later on the practice was further commercialized as a novelty released by parker brothers yeah boy so that necromancy could be enjoyed by the whole family on gaming nights you could get them at toys r us i remember that so clearly yeah and of course christians have always criticized and condemned the use of ouija boards as a practice of the occult and divination, or flat out just demonic. Mm -hmm. The board has seen much use in popular culture as an easy-to-visualize way to communicate with the demonic forces. Hell yeah. Most famously in The Exorcist. Yeah. But the panic I want to talk about is not the general moral panic around the spirit board, but rather a specific event that took place at Girlstown a Catholic boarding school in Chalco, Mexico. The school was very strict. You don't say. I mean, very strict. By modern terms, um, you know, they were not allowed really any communication with the outside world. No television, no radio, no magazines. Oh, dear. Very limited books, very limited visits to family members. Oh, no. Very tight. And this caused extreme isolation and severed individuality and emotional connections among the girls. Wow. Yeah, it, it was, it was it, from what I read, it seemed really tough. Sounds barbaric. Yeah. 
Now, prior to the event, while on a field trip, one student found a magazine. Oh, boy. They were forbidden to read magazines, mind you. Right. But inside this magazine, it was even worse. Uh Uh-oh. Not just your typical uh, 2006 would have been, let's see. Teen Vogue. Teen Vogue with... um, Justin Bieber. Yeah, that would have been Justin Bieber time. Yep. Yeah, Justin Bieber on the front. But no. Inside, it gave... Well, it may have had Justin Bieber, too. I'm sure it did. But inside, it gave instructions on how to make a spirit board. (laughs) Okay. So, one was made, and a few of the girls would sneak out at night to play with it. Then came the annual Girls Town Basketball Tournament. Oh, they were allowed to play sports. That surprises me. Now, they were, but only within the school. Well, yeah, It wasn't like against other schools. So this was a tournament among the students divided into teams. Mm -hmm. And one of the girls, Maria, decided to use the Ouija board to ask the spirits that her friend's team would win the tournament. Oh, Maria. Which she did. Oh, that's really sweet. Well, this sweet thing would turn out to be a horrific disaster. Yay! Even better. <laughs> because reactions among students was massive. <laughs> and as a result, news of the use of black magic reached the Mother Superior. Oh, I am obsessed with this. Maria was discovered as the creator and basically ringleader of witchcraft at the school and was promptly expelled. Get it, Maria. No surprise there. But this is where the story ventures into the unsubstantiated. Because as she was being removed from the school, Maria allegedly cast a curse on the school. Hell yeah! Now, the nature of the curse and the exact message is unknown if it was even true to begin with. I have an idea that it probably wasn't, but sure. (laughs) But it was basically that everyone who accused or thought badly of her would become sick in the legs and be unable to walk. Oh my God, Maria, too far. Well, the story spread through the school fast, and from there, things got crazy. Uh Uh-huh. Students began to fall ill very quickly, dozens a day, starting with a prickly sensation in their legs until becoming so painful that they could not walk. Whoa. Students also began hallucinating, seeing haunting visions of babies, children crying, and people hanging from ropes in the hall. Oh my god! Between October 2006 and June 2007, more than 500 students, teachers, and mothers became infected with the curse. The teachers and the mothers too? Yep. Oh boy. That's right. Maria, damn. After a while, the girl's paralysis cured on its own. I'm shocked. And an intense investigation by scientists and doctors who witnessed the event could only conclude one diagnosis. Psychogenic disorder of movement consistent with conversion disorder. Okay. So basically, mass hysteria. Right. Now, as we discussed in the last episode with the meowing nuns, (laughs) extreme stress is often a very strong cause of mass delusion. Right. And based on what I read, the conditions at Girl's Town, as I shared with you earlier, were not only stressful, but very, everyone was very interdependent on one another. Oh, yeah. Even though emotional connections were discouraged, Mm -hmm. um, 
it was also very isolating. So you, you kind of had to depend on each other. Well, and you're, you're talking about like young girls too, like who naturally your inclination as a young girl is to form groups and to make friends and to want to fit in. So there's really not a lot you can do to stop that. Yeah. So the fear of a witch cursing this highly religious institution full of children who were not allowed to watch television, Mm -hmm. listen to a radio, and rarely go outside the school. Mass hysteria seems to probably fit the bill. Oh, for sure. You think so? Yeah. um, Although, if true, stellar work by Maria on that one. Well, the the mothers, and I think the mother superior, though I couldn't get a a definite uh, quote from her, uh, did believe that it was a test from God. I'm sure she did. There are supernatural mm-hmm. forces, which is not surprising, but... Well, I mean, yeah, if you... I, obviously, she already believed that, or she wouldn't have kicked Maria out of school in the first place. Yeah. Exactly. Well, she also found out she was reading Teen Vogue. Oh, my God. With Bieber on the cover? Mm-hmm. We can't have an outbreak of Bieber fever. We can't do it. <laughs> Bieber fever is... Is much worse. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's worse than Listomania. <laughs> well, that's the last entry for this week. Okay. I honestly don't think I could take much more. It's These last couple have just been just so wonderful for me personally. <laughs> it's a bit of a roller coaster, very uh, varied. Oh, yeah. Um, in, in, uh, in topics. Well, I got to go listen to some list. Yeah. So. Yeah, please do. I, I, I did not listen to them. Before recording. Oh my God. But uh, he seems to be uh, pretty talented. Well, I'm sure he's in the public domain too. So I might uh, might throw some stuff up on Twitter. Okay. Has to just, you know, maybe put a sock on your door before you listen to it. <laughs> All right, y'all. Thanks for listening and spending some time with us today. Hope you found our story interesting. Stories. Multiple. Actually interesting. And if you did, please take a second to rate, review, and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening to. And feel free to share with others because we would love to have our podcast spread across the masses. And to that end, I actually have an exciting announcement. Um, We'll put a link down in the show notes, but I have an Etsy shop and I've added our first piece of merch on there. I designed a sticker with our logo. So if you want to go on there, grab a sticker, slap it on your car, your water bottle, whatever, uh, put it on other people's cars so that they have to like look it up to see what's going on. Mm -hmm. Um, Feel free to vandalize with them, put them everywhere, give them to the nuns in your life that you know. Yeah. Um, You know, go by the, the archdiocese your local catholic church start handing them out uh police stations we encourage you to uh deface those kind of just anywhere that a sticker would go feel free to to hop onto my etsy and and buy some fantastic history stickers yes spread it like a uh delusional contagion yes please because if if this show is nothing else it's certainly delusional it certainly is sarah (laughs) And make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram for more content. We're going to put some pictures up of these silly people. Mostly of List. Yeah. On uh, Fantastic HPod on both. And if you want to shoot us an email with uh, suggestions for topics, general feedback, we are on, or sorry, we can be reached at fantastichistorypod at gmail.com. Until next week, stay safe out there. Bye-bye. Watch out for the monkey man. Bye.